When you say migration, everyone thinks, okay, we move the servers. When you move the servers with trucks, it doesn't work. You need to think about what is the data residencies, security controls, and how our communication from on-prem or third-party services. Because dependencies become a norm now. You know, every developer is open to use some open source package or third-party service to make their lives easier. But how is the governance on top of that? How do you save your data? Or you have clients that has some mandatory requirements to continue, such as GDPR, or, you know, lots of health regulations for Canada. We have at Canada data residency rules. We need to plan everything upfront to have this successful uh, program management. That's the fact. What is up, everyone? And thanks for tuning in. In today's episode of the Big Ideas in App Architecture podcast, we speak to Erol Kavas, who is a director at PwC and an AWS ambassador with seasoned experience across the top three cloud providers. Erol and I talk about cloud automation and the amazing abilities it gives to users and enterprises to build applications for scale. He shares some really profound ideas on multi-cloud and the mistakes that enterprises are making today when they initiate cloud migrations. So pump up that volume and get ready for an intriguing conversation with Erol Kavas. All right. Welcome to the podcast today, Erol. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. How about you? It's been, uh, you know, a crazy weekend for me, you know, lots of stuff going on and then excited to, you know, come talk to you on a Monday because I know I'm going to meet you physically when we are at AWS reInvent next week. So excited to do that as well. Yes, yes. So I'm also excited, you know, try to line up all the business before we are jumping into Vegas and, you know, get to know people and meet after the pandemic. This will be my first AWS reInvent after the pandemic. Yeah, I'm sorry. I have heard that for this one, apparently there'll be like 60 to 65,000 people. Yes, yes. It will be 65,000. Yesterday I was chatting with a friend from AWS. They said, it's amazing. A lot of people, if, you know, this will be the, I think the one of the biggest tech events, uh, especially based on cloud and DevOps. Yeah. I think uh, Amazon has done a great job of also setting up this event right after U.S. Thanksgiving because pretty much everybody is with their families during reInvent. And then right after reInvent, they get to get out and go do some business and learn about all the new things that are happening within AWS and across all these different companies um, that are kind of projecting all the uh, activities on the you know expo floor and things like. So as we kick it off, you know, why don't you explain or kind of introduce yourself to the people a little bit more? Uh, because I know you as Errol Kavas, you're also, uh, you know, you're right now the director at PwC, also an AWS ambassador, which is also like an interesting thing for us to dive into. But let the people know a little bit more about what you do and uh, kind of expand on that. Sure. Uh, as you mentioned, I'm a director in PwC Canada. And I'm AWS Prime as well, leading the AWS initiatives in uh, for PwC. And that's the reason I'm AWS ambassador, because of the publications and certifications and embracing how we can expedite our learning in cloud and DevOps. That role has got lots of, you know, responsibilities at the same time, but I'm trying to show our clients and also our team how we can do things faster, automated with cloud native tools from AWS. 
I'm also certified in other cloud providers as well, but now my prime is AWS. I'm focusing on that. Uh, and probably you are going to ask me which one, which cloud provider you select. I have lots of different opinions for every cloud provider, but you know, it's a really amazing role. Uh, you know, PwC give me opportunity to work with so many different enterprises from US, from Canada, and also different parts of the world as well. It's always great meeting people who talk the same language, right? Like I love talking about cloud technology. I love talking about Terraform. And when we were diving in, we I kind of got to know that these are things that you're passionate about. So before we kind of talk about what you do now and a little bit more, tell us a little bit more about, you know, how uh, or what motivated you to get into tech? Like how did a young Erol decide that, hey, this is what I wanted to do. And now that you're an AWS ambassador, how does that all come together? Like explain that. Sure, sure. You know, actually, I was into tech in especially computers since like age of 10 or 12. My father was generous enough to bring a computer to home in 80s. You know, I was that lucky boy. And even though I was grown up in Turkey and there is a university entry exams and you need to do some questions and different types of subjects, sometimes some subjects you don't like, but you need to do to get as a computer science or computer engineering degree, I fast forward my life and make a decision to get a university in economics. But I was always into tech. And I find an exit strategy. I joined an internet service provider as a translator. But the week number three, I become a developer because I know how to develop. I was a self-taught developer at that time. By the time changes, you know, I try to follow the market condition. I try to invest. I buy books from Amazon when Amazon just started or when some of my friends are visiting U.S., they were bringing me some computer science books or programming books. I learned PHP just from a, one single book, you know, and I even improve my English by that uh, computer books and just spend all my weekends or all my summer holidays with just try to write that codes and make them work in a laptop that I saved and work as a you know shop assistant in my father's place. That brings lots of opportunities. And I was kind of an early catcher for that era. And I worked as a developer, system admin. I become an IT director. Around eight years ago, I decided to move to Canada and started my cloud and DevOps journey. So today, if I ask you, like, uh, what are the three technologies, the four technologies that you're really passionate about? How would you classify that? You know, most of the technologies that I can mention is all automation. You know, first infrastructure as code, any type, any flavor. But I have a choice, Terraform, that I can use my skills in multiple cloud providers, even ordering Domino's pizza. I love that, you know, example always. I try to use it. And I have my personal APIs that have providers as well. Then, you know, CICD tools, you know, I love CICD tools. I was in a call with GitHub people today. We were talking about their GitHub universe changes and how AI is integrated. But at the same time, I love the other ones as well. Not just, you know, I don't want to be biased about just one tool, one cloud, one technology. Try to cover all the sector or all the tools there. And then probably any new cloud services, even though, you know, maybe I don't have a use case to use it for as of now, but maybe one of my clients needs it. I try to do POC on my own. I have a lab environment. Even in PwC, they, we have a really good lab structure. I have always access to three different cloud providers to test and 
you know, do the stuff even for AWS Bedrock. I have, I was an early adopter. You know, I tried, trained and tried many things there. It was amazing, you know, automation in infrastructure. When we were catching up last time, I was talking to you about like this. We have these phases, these eras in tech, right? Like there was this early phase where we were into, you know, VMs and the VMs now became containers. And now we have orchestration happening and things like that, right? So a lot of things have changed in tech over the last like uh, a decade. And we have like databases, all these things have changed as well. So what have you seen as is the most significant change that has been very impactful over the last like decade? You know, it's, you know, it's really awkward. I've been from coming from a data center world, how I first used VMware for virtualization and Hyper-V, then Virtuoso. I worked in the hosting companies before that I have been involved. I was thinking that, okay, this is the best thing that I've ever seen. I can divide a machine and use it for multiple purposes and generate a revenue stream for them. Then cloud, you know, invented, we see, you know, we, we can have a UI and create machines. That was amazing. You know, without any code, without uh, writing some bash scripts, then Docker became a norm, you know, uh, like not long ago, eight years ago, I was working in a, uh, a small cloud shop in Toronto. And when I was discussing the Docker at that time and testing, doing POC in my local system, with my boss, he said, no, this is not going to work. VMs are the best. That was a discussion. And now we are going back and laughing each other, what we have done. Then Kubernetes, then functions, you know, everything is evolving, but that is helping all developers, system admins, life easier. But we need to be more efficient on top of that. Now AI is, you know, in our door. We need to leverage that to bring more services, more efficient services. No, oh, that's brilliant because I have also noticed the fact that in, in my opinion, like for for a lot of people, you know, there has been a big change to how we develop applications. But we had technologies like all of these, like JavaScript came, you know, we started developing with Python, Go, and you saw a plethora of people with the startup culture, you know, creating a lot of applications. And what systematically also happened parallel to that is in the the speed at which cloud kind of grew, right? AWS came at the right moment. There was somebody who came with a brilliant idea that, hey, we have all of this free infrastructure. We should like start, you know, renting it out to different people. And that turned into the cloud. And I think it's been fascinating, as you were saying, as to like, there is a, there is this availability of technology. Like 20 years ago, you know, you would have to, you know, buy Oracle or get your own Oracle uh, license and do things. And it was so difficult, but now it's so accessible. In your experience in the last like a decade, have you got into any projects or migrations where these technologies were places where, you know, companies wanted to go to and you felt and you recommended like, hey, this is what we need to do and help migrate people off from old technologies? Yeah, actually in the last year in PwC, I've been uh, heavily involving in, you know, migration projects. And these companies, mostly I'm working with technology and finance industry. There are lots of outdated stacks needs to go to cloud. They're okay to go to cloud, but the applications are not, not ready. And it's a long process, but everyone is taking action to that norm, you know, slowly, slowly migrating everything into the cloud. Then, you know, AI is there and AI is also another, you know, catalyst for this to accelerate that movement. But I've seen 
so many old legacy applications are waiting their role, waiting their queue to go into the cloud. That's a norm. You know, I, I'm not expecting anyone to go to at that old data center mode. I have a very funny story. When I was working in Turkey, I was working in a broadcasting company and there was an election campaign. And in the election night, we would like to display the results from online and from TVs. And there's a news agency providing you the results, you know, every second, even every millisecond with a satellite system that you need to calculate and display into a website. And that news agency has a website as well, but it was literally down for at the first couple of minutes. I was working on a system to, you know, kind of provide 3 million different visitor, visitors can support and see all the results. And everyone is like playing like games, you know, refresh, refresh. What are the differences? What, you know, who won? And I just made it happen with like Pentium 4, two gigabyte RAM, two machines with using some cache systems that I work months on it, like HA proxy, Red, Memcache, not even Redis. Redis is very fancy now. And it took me like a year to build a system and get the knowledge. But now we have very easy tools. You know, I can leverage that, this. And I have I had one server at that time and I asked my procurement to buy a server. We give an order like 16 weeks before to get the server on time. Now we just have a server. We just use it five minutes, tear it down. We pay as you as we go or we get amazing discount, amazing systems. Two years ago, I was helping a San Francisco startup. They were literally running thousands of functions and paying $5,000, but generating millions of dollars of revenue. That was the ROI we have. But in the old days, we invest thousands of dollars. You know, a single server was 10K at that time. Even upgrading disks were ridiculous amount of money, you know. But now it's easy to adopt. But we need to do better to, you know, provide better services. Great stories, you know. And I think if there is an error to be kind of doing tech in, I think this probably is an extremely interesting run now, especially with what you were saying, AI coming into the picture. Um, so tell me about it. Are you like, maybe we are skipping ahead on some of some of our thoughts, but are you? how are you leveraging AI for some of the things that you're working on? Especially, you know, I'm doing lots of publications. I love DALL-E. I have a special instance to generate images. And also, you know, especially for infrastructure as code size, we need to get some idea from AI also, build the foundations. I have a small team that I train, I coach them, I'm mentoring most of them. We have a side project to develop something that we can easily get consultation. You know, are we writing the good code? And we try to get all the best practices into that uh, large language model, train that, and provide something meaningful. And at the same time, you know, Terraform is not the only one. You know, there is Open TOEFL Foundation now, you know, movement. And there are also third-party other tools that like Microsoft Bicep or ARM templates. I'm expecting more to come because of the requirements and different type of services, especially in the serverless era, I'm expecting another tool that can help us to do infrastructure as code. That's the reason we need to train and build the best practices that we can implement. And I'm expecting to removing the burden of tedious tasks from the developers and infrastructure people. And we need to leverage that because when I 
help some our, of our clients to migrate their cloud providers or to move to cloud, the biggest problem is I always recommend them. We need to do automation. We need to do infrastructure as goals. We need to do governance. Everyone is suffering that we don't have the skills, what we are going to do. At least there can be a guidance that they can go and learn and train. Those knowledge is not tough to learn. Just you need to commit some time, spend, you know, get your hands dirty. And I'm also admiring the Microsoft Azure applied skills that they are providing to, you know, free labs that people can lose the fear of cloud, you know, go get their hands dirty, learn a bit more. We should provide something to everyone to, uh, you know, get benefit of cloud. Every individual who has worked in the space also has their own native experience or knowledge that they have gained that is not available in documentation. What large language models do great is like they have learned a bunch of code. They have learned and understood bunch of language and they're able to repeat that back if you ask a question or a prompt right and then what you are talking about is that taking that to the next level where you're bringing in your own training data uh, on what is the best practices and things like that putting that together with large language models to kind of get like a improved result is that what you were kind of hinting on is probably like okay got it so it's sort of like sounds like a rag system yeah yes Actually, there's one point, you know, I have experienced this today. You know, one of my friends is trying to show me a telephone code he's trying. And I noticed that he's just going to apply it. I told him, let's plan it, see the result. Then, you know, that's a foundational thing. But sometimes you are so reluctant and go forward. You know, AI can prevent you to make that mistake. Preventive maintenance is a matter that AI can help us. But at the same time, those kind of human errors that sometimes people are not following. For example, uh, I'm always uh, looking for a solution for this to verify if our backups are there. You know, maybe an AI tool can do, to do this tedious task because I've seen many companies at the first couple of months, they have a verification, you know, status and they said, no, it's cloud. I am not expecting it will be breaking, but when it is needed, some backup is broken and they are not aware of it. What you said was so profound, right? Like we have the, sometimes when you're writing Terraform code and I, I I write, I've written my bunch of Terraform code and because I love the ability to like just have infrastructure as a code. And sometimes when I am so confident, I have the tendency just to Terraform apply. I wouldn't even do Terraform plan just to see how everything is looking. But what you're saying is like, we need some sort of a verification where when you do Terraform plan, plan, the AI should detect what you're trying to build and say, okay, here's the thing, man. You need to change these things. This looks like a better way to kind of set everything up, maybe your VPC. So that's that's the context in which maybe AI can be used. That's that's a great idea, actually. And also, you know, the plan is just checking for nothing. You know, it's not communicating in the cloud provider. Maybe it can remind us, you know, you don't have enough permissions to provision a VM. Are you sure this will going to work? Otherwise, that's a back and forth and people lose their attention to the problems. Sometimes people are not reading the result they are getting. You know, obviously it says that you don't have permissions, but how to interpret that, you know, more human readable. How many times has this happened with you? I mean, I'll tell this, my experience. I write a Terraform, I would do a play and it goes on for like 15 minutes. Everything looks great. And then I realized that I did not give enough IP, you know, IP addresses. (laughs) Then I'm like, oh no, I have to go back. 
you know rebuild the environment from from that point on and kind of fix those things so it would be great like if ai can recommend and has awareness of your environment as well as you build that's a great idea i also wanted to uh, understand like you are you have expertise in gcp azure aws obviously you're the aws ambassador um and this might be very opinionated of course you don't have to kind of give exactly the if you don't want to but what's your favorite uh, cloud platform right now and uh, and why would you say that is the best platform right now yeah first of all i always get this question you know because i i'm also microsoft certified trainer canada lead i get that questions and even both sides is making fun of me which one is the best you know every cloud provider has a use case even the ones that we don't name like oracle cloud ipm cloud i love i love some tools from every provider let me give you an example AWS S3, that's amazing. I like it. I use it for everything. Even I put all my personal photos and everything there. Microsoft, there is an enterprise view of everything. You know, you can have a full stack. Uh, you can have your enterprise-ready applications, data products. But Google side, there are tons of amazing data tools plus networking. Global networking is incredible helps you to architect many, many better solutions that is lacked from the other cloud providers. Or, or if I go to Oracle Cloud, Exadata, that's an amazing database. No one can uh, you know, compete with them. Every cloud provider has have a use case. And I am seeing from the enterprises, most of the enterprises in Canada and US start to adopt second and third cloud providers because they are not replaceable. They are not mimicking each other. You know, Azure has got storage account. Google has got cloud storage, but they have different use cases and you are using regarding that. And the unique differences helps us to select which one is the best. And also, you know, everyone wants not to be vendor locked in. You know, that's the fact. You don't want to be, a you know, locked in into a single specific resource that you need to continue your life forever with that provider. So you you bring up us up to a really good you know follow up on that is that when you come in front of folks asking for hey this is the problem we are trying to solve and we need to move to the cloud how do you go about recommending to them uh, you know which applications or which services make sense and kind of how does that process go does the idea of cost come in um, in that or also like there is a situation where they will say well we have folks who understand AWS. So, you know, that's what we are leaning towards. So how do you go about that? Kind of unwrap that for us a little bit. Yeah, that's, a, you know, there are lots of facades on that, you know. Sometimes, you know, especially in the end of the second half or third half of the uh, 2023, the cost becomes a very much importance. You know, everyone is negotiating. FinOps is booming because of the financial environment now. But at the same time, I always try to look at first, are the applications are suitable for cloud and which cloud? Then the skill set. If they have interchangeable skills to use as some specific cloud, probably they need to go for it. Not every skill is interchangeable. At the same time, I can see a resistance from the people. You know, I'm an AWS shop. I do AWS. I don't want to go to Azure or Google Cloud. That happens a lot. But I see some teams, they want to learn. They're hungry to learn. They're open. They're thirsty for that. And that's good to, uh, you know, manage. And also the future plans. Are they going to do something global-wide or is there any 
compulsory regulation they are expecting. For example, in Canada, now it is almost solved. We have a second region for AWS. If you want DR in the same cloud provider, you cannot go with AWS directly. You can just go multi-AC. We had one Montreal region. That's the reason Microsoft boomed a bit more and Google also invested for the second region. But now the third region will be coming in the Microsoft in the probably in the following years as well. There are so many factors and also not just the development or infrastructure team. We need to consider if the DBAs are okay to use some cloud native databases. That's the biggest problem that I've seen because if you have a conventional DBAs wants to use the same type of resources they are going to Oracle Cloud and the application is in Microsoft or AWS. And Microsoft is making a huge move by enabling Oracle Cloud into their back, you know, control plane to migrate. That's a big move because you, you there are some specific things that you cannot migrate or update your application, especially legacy ones. They don't want to, you know, invest on it, but they want to go to cloud because of data centers are not efficient anymore, costing a lot more than that. In the last four or five years, I have seen three or four out of data center migration, not the on-prem, you know, locations, offices, but everyone is trying to leave the data centers. There's a joke that internally that comes to us is that a DBA, full form is not a database administrator, but more like do not buy anything. You know, because there is always this tendency uh, when I'm, I've also had situations where DBAs are like very cautious about disrupting what is already available, right? Because there, the migration strategy, you know, all these things kind of come into place. But with AWS, AWS has something called, you know, as you would know, you know, for databases like database migration services, and they have like a very well thought plan. And, you know, they, uh, Cockroach Labs also, uh, you know, works through DMS. So it's pretty interesting the way uh, not only have the cloud providers thought out all the different needs of the users, but they have also considered the value that each of these services would be bringing. One other thing is as a cloud architect, we would like to always use cloud native services, you know, trying to enforce them to use more RDS, more DynamoDB, Cosmos DB. If we have a chance, we try our best to encourage them to show them this is the way we can cut down the cost. And we use the cost principle there. You know, if you want multi-region, high, really high availability, you need to go some more native tools, built-in backups, snapshots, and show them. That's a workshop, you know, ideation uh, period. We need to hold their hands, show them the best way. Because application teams are always open for challenges. But DPAs, they earn from the stability, not for the features, because... They need to run a system. Those are mostly operational side of people. And I understand them. If I were them, it's really horrifying to learn a new tool or migrate that much of data. Today, I was a meeting. I was in a meeting with a huge DBA team, and they were literally migrating 8 billion records for one environment that they have seven to go. And there are you know, amazing tools now from every cloud provider to help them. There are some commercial products that providers are lending you in your migration period. They are amazing, like live four, five machines at the same time, live migration tools, third party. There are tools, but that's a planning. That's a lot of work. And as the infrastructure people, we have Terraform, we have modules, open source, and we can write 
the migration means like a couple of months for us, but the data people or application people, it takes a longer period. The change management process is very important, but it is what it is. This will going to happen. You know, we are all yeah. moved to the cloud. Yeah. So uh, I think you brought up, I mean, when you were saying it's a very profound point of view is that moving infrastructure and network and the whole identity of what you have before and after is a way more easier at least you can visualize that path much more easily, right? Because you have Terraform, you okay, this is how everything maps. But nobody thinks like what you just said, application migration and database migration are way more challenging sometimes because you're dealing with a different problem. Have you had situations where you have helped, you were you have been working in fintech for a while, right? But can you kind of expand for us a little bit on any use case where you kind of saw this happen? Not just in fintech, but just before the pandemic, I was working in a Microsoft partner in Toronto and there was a big entertainment company in Canada and they want to go to cloud because they cannot have, you know, they want to have a proper cloud and DevOps structure. They were not planning to go production to cloud, but at least for dev UAT staging, they need to have some environments and they don't want to procure a million dollars of infrastructure because they were not making money. The market was tight. And they want to also at the same time sell their company and they try to grow. And I helped them to migrate some of the applications to Microsoft Cloud at that time. And we noticed that the application was really legacy. They were using some tools never supported in cloud. But because of uh, our team was have and also lots of developer backgrounded people, we helped them to rewrite a couple of protocols you know, spend maybe more two, three weeks with them. And it was a successful, uh, you know, pace. And I, and the pandemic started and where there was a lockdown. And we noticed that that company survived because they have a dev environment, can scale into uh, the cloud. And a couple of months later, they moved their production. That was not in their two years plan to continue work and to save some costs, shut down their data centers at that time. Now it's big, big again. Everything is you know open because they were so much affected because it was an entertainment industry. Shutdown was really uh, affected them. That's a lot. Uh, for the uh, you know FS sectors, you know I recently work in a project that mostly cost based, but a legacy application moved to the cloud and it's a, like a grid structure. Lots of compute power, uh, power, and they noticed a huge spike in the cost, but they couldn't, you know, find why the cost was going really bad. And they noticed that it was most of the foundations, not from the legacy application. They just don't know how to adjust the applications to running cloud. We did some tweaks, lots of automation scripts to help them, and we learned that. The company who uh, built that application is planning to have something fully cloud native in the following years. The company is really saved, you know, probably a couple of million dollars for after that changes. But, you know, you need to know your application very well before you go cloud. You know, I was, you know, handled so many successful migrations because I'd like to learn more of the application. Sometimes in the discovery sessions, you know, most of the developers hate me at the first few weeks. I ask so much questions about the application, why you use this. There is a benefit to use this. And when I leave them, I always give them a, you know, a laundry list. You need to, you know, this application needs to have this tool or don't put files into this file share. There's a native tool, use something EFS or NFS shares 
or use S3 more, you know, get rid of old school systems that you can be more native. And I also show how much they can save at the same time. That gives them a courage to, you know, go forward. Their product owners are really like to, you know, cut down the cost as well. Yeah, I mean, you spoke like a true consultant and a seasoned, you know, ambassador uh, of the cloud platforms, you know. I mean, it's a, it's a very great answer, actually. Um, what do you feel is, or I mean, you've had so many conversations, are the top, you know, challenges that, you know, enterprises have when they're trying to migrate? Or maybe what are they not seeing, according to you? Uh, overall program management, you know, sometimes when you say migration, everyone thinks, okay, we move the servers. When you move the servers with trucks, it doesn't work. You need to think about what is the data residencies, security controls, and how our communication from on-prem or third-party services. Because dependencies become a norm now. You know, every developer is open to use some open source package or third-party service to make their lives easier. But how is the governance on top of that? How do you save your data? Or you have clients that has some mandatory requirements to continue, such as GDPR or, you know, lots of health regulations. For Canada, we have at Canada data residency rules. We need to plan everything upfront to have this successful uh, program management. That's the fact. And all I see that lots of enterprises wants to go to two cloud providers to make things not locked in. And that is really tough because... We have one case, we have a very good design, and we wanted to go to the second cloud provider. We want to use the same tools, same structure, but it is not what it is. You need to uh, adjust your tools, systems, even skills regarding the other cloud provider's needs. I think a vendor lock-in is one of the biggest challenges that has come up for enterprises in the last um, decade. And having worked for two organizations and working currently for a company that enables a non-vendor locking product, uh, you know, I've I've realized that even that is challenging sometimes, right? Because um, you can say, okay, use this product that allows you to run across multiple cloud, but then you also have to deal with the egress cost of moving data out of AWS into GCP, uh, you know, which also adds to uh, the challenge. Uh, so what's what are your opinions on multi-cloud? And of course, there is a vendor locking is one of the selling points to why you should not be thinking about. But what else have you seen as value for multi-cloud for you know, users? Most of the enterprises that I've seen went to multi-cloud. The biggest problem is unification of the monitoring tool stack. They are you know, having a hard time to do that. And then this year, financial operations management. The FinOps tools are, you need to have some third-party tools or find the tool that supports both of the cloud providers, especially, you know, every cloud provider has got a good tool. Okay, we want to use one from them, two from them. It's like a mixed ice cream, but there are consequences, right? The governance is tough. For example, I had a client, I think three years ago, they were a full Microsoft shop, and we have built tons of Azure policies, lots of great rules, and there is a mandate. They just acquired a company that is also huge and they want to keep their system because it's you cannot migrate something established for you know 10 years and move to the Microsoft cloud and that you need to invest a lot. Probably acquisition cost will be identical to that migration cost. And they start to think about how we are going to govern them. 
because the plan was acquire the company, merge with them, cut down some of the uh, you know default costs, and continue. No, it's not like that. You need to hire more people, has that that skills, and try to manage them as silos. That's the you know you have a knowledge in one end and you don't know the other end. And I know that for four years they're still struggling. They don't know how to manage it. Sometimes we chat some of the folks from there. They have literally silos who doesn't talk to each other, no knowledge transfer. That's the biggest problem. That's the reason we need to build foundation really good for multi-cloud. And every enterprise told me that we built the foundations. Amazing. No, it's not because it's just for design for one cloud. Now you are multi-cloud. And if you are future-proofing another cloud provider, you should be ready for that. Otherwise, everything will be like an old-school house that has additional patios, you know, decks, not matching the colors, sizes, materials. I agree with you on that. I have ended up in similar situations talking to some of my customers who are trying to go multi-cloud. And what has happened in those cases is that I've always come down to situations where there is a likeness to a particular product. And that product is maybe it's the same, but it looks different on Google. Okay, so they make a decision. Okay, we will use a product that works on both the cloud platforms. Say say CockroachDB is the product they selected. Now, the other problem that happens now is that once they decide that they want to run across two of these environments, they... The, the developer doesn't understand why they are trying to architect it this way. Because the developer is like, well, I just want to build an app for the end users. So there have been situations where they have not actively understood the end-to-end benefit of running something on the cloud. Like the business understands it, but sometimes the developers, designers don't get it. Like the architects get it. So I've seen those kind of things happen as well. Yeah, yeah. Last year, I have seen one example like that. You know, one of the developers wants to build something, a basic React web app, you know, SBA. And it's a pure HTML, JavaScript, nothing too fancy, no need to be even Docker containers. And there are AWS shop and there is they have an AKS cluster. The developer told the manager, can I deploy it to there? But that AKS cluster has no public interface. It's an internal facing was a government institution. And they said, okay, let's provision another AKS cluster with disaster recovery, multi-region, tons of security controls. And I said, okay, but how many applications are you going to deploy? They said, one app. I said, isn't this overkill? Let's look at the app back. And we noticed that it is Azure web app, you know, static uh, hosting, the storage account feature. And it's working there and for a long time, better than the AKS because of, you know, storage account infrastructure, highly available, and it doesn't talk to any API, a third-party API that is not residing in government side. The silos are the problem. You need to communicate, and that communication costs a lot, you know, lots of meetings, 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 meetings. But at the end, uh, we need to go with, an, you know, an ultimate good, better solution for every client. I like what you said in a few minutes ago about when you go into a conversation, you're basically asking questions and developers hate you because you're trying to understand every facet of the business. And because you have the experience of doing this a number of times, you've seen similar problems across multiple enterprises, right? And I have noticed, as you were saying, is that sometimes uh, when you are going through this exercise, you will realize that you don't know a lot about your app. Like you've had 
migration between teams also some people move from different teams have moved on and you will realize during the exercise that you have provided people come back with better knowledge of what and how their application works you sometimes draw diagrams while you are provisioning your applications or infrastructure but you don't update it you don't have time to do and that's the reason consultants come and ask you questions do the discovery re you know redo all the blueprints and give you back and couple of years later they come back again that's the norm because operations do not have time for it you know short of the people short of the skills and because of this cloud and IT and technology era everything is urgent there is no real urgency level everything is we need to migrate right now yesterday a week before that's the reason sometimes we have that messy house so if if you have to condense uh, this idea of hey think if you if you are thinking multi cloud what do you think are the strong indicators for somebody to be on the cloud and multi cloud and what are some of the scenarios where users should not be moving to multi cloud according to you especially i've seen in canada you know uh, they want to have a, not vendor lock in that's a one business factor the second thing is the other vendor has a better tool in some cases and that happens a lot especially i've seen like you know google clouds big query big table is a really good opportunity sometimes people pursue or you know cloud spanner you know multi region databases that's okay but you need to build the foundation and that me- means if you are managing your one environment one cloud provider x be ready to spend 3x 4x because egress cost and maintenance skills you need to be ready and you should always pull track with your team and i was working in a huge fmcg sector uh company 3 years ago and this is huge you know global company they were it it take it took like 6 months to make a decision to go as second cloud provider because we check all the checklists you know who hired the people because we built the project and we can hire afterwards that doesn't make any sense another 6 months is needed to people to learn and wrap up the problems that's the reason that's the first thing the second thing is the regulations sometimes dr is a mandate let's assume you are in aws last year you were in aws in canada you have a m- mandate to dr no wait you need to go either on prem or you need to go to another cloud provider and another cloud provider dr is really tough you know provider to provider or you need to have a strategy to just do backups cold drs and do lots of different scenarios that means lots of skill lots of time effort you need to have a deep pocket for a, a multi cloud and there are some specific you know third party applications sometimes you need to run in your system that are vendor specific in that case there is no way you need to calculate that cost as well not just application fees not just operational fees you need to consider but i always encourage people if there is no security limitation if the company has got enough regulational compliance go for saas solutions as much as yesterday i was chatting with a ex colleague he was mentioning that should we go this db cloud native db or atlas mongo i told them you can go to atlas mongo mongo can move you to different cloud providers that can be but if you go to native maybe it will be good for you because my friend is expert on that cloud provider it can be good for you but discuss with the other outcomes as well 
think that's the most important thing is to discover something and understand the whole process clearly because what what we have is sometimes we're trying to jump into design and what i've noticed is many times there are great solutions out there but what has happened is many people don't know that there is a better solution because they're like looking at oh well this is the stack i understand it and uh, in 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 doing so sometimes you don't have this overall you know view of where the everything needs to be designed to so that happens as well uh, so let's pivot a little bit you know you've you've uh, not just been you know an ambassador you've already written a book which is in pre-order and you're officially like a, a writer now so let us uh, know a little bit more about uh, this book uh, and what made you write this i was a technical reviewer for a book for a friend from microsoft uh, she was writing on kubernetes exam ckd and she asked me to review the book as a technical side. I was reviewing. Then I don't know if I did a diligent work to review, make bad comments about the book, but the same publishing company asked me, do you want to write a book? You know, we are looking for some people. And I told them, I want to write a book. If it is, it should be something about automation or infrastructure as code. I told them, let's make a series starting from AWS, how to master Terraform in uh, cloud environments, or I, I started from AWS, it will be hopefully be ready uh, in the AWS reinvent time. We are aiming forward for that. And it's, as you mentioned, it's pre-order in Amazon. And I would like to show the best practices that I have collected in my back for a couple of years, how we can use Terraform enterprise grade. And it's not just for enterprise. I believe everyone needs to implement every Terraform best practice because it is like a biggest foundation in our infrastructure now. And those uh, best practices can be easily replaceable with the other cloud providers. I'm planning to start the one uh, in the near future and the next year as well. Oh, well, yeah, that's true. Now that you have written for AWS, you can write the same thing for uh, GCP and Azure, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Actually, outlines are ready. I have started to write down some notes. Just we need to publish this book Know, get ready for the market. It's a long process. You know, it is my first time uh, in the old days. I tried to write some other computer books as well, but long time ago in a different language. Now it is tough. And, you know, the era has been changed. I worked in the publishing house before. I know the process a bit well, but now everything has changed and, you know, big teams are working on it. Reviewers, I have very good fellows help me to review the book, you know, find my mistakes and fix them. And, we try to make it hands-on as much as we can to also, you know, help people to implement some of this stuff. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. So for everyone listening, Errol's book is going to come out. Uh, it's called Mastering Terraform uh, with uh, for AWS. It's available on pre-order. We will also share the link for you. If you are at reInvent, you will get a copy of the book. All right. So Errol, uh, tell me a little bit more um, about, you know, this whole aspect of, you know, Terraform you know, that you, you fell in love with? Like, what what was it that you kind of fell in love with uh, specifically around Terraform? Yeah. To see all the details of the infrastructure, that's amazing. Especially I suffered this. This is also a criticize for Microsoft Azure portal. They change the settings so much, you know. The setting is there, you know, someone make a setting. The other day that UI changed and it went somewhere else and you are freaking out, that avoids, you know, we can easily replicate between the environments or if I write a Terraform, my colleague can easily follow that path. Otherwise, 
the old way, that UI way, I always call it click ops, is not working anymore. There are, especially if you have a complicated resource like Kubernetes, tons of different settings I cannot even remember now. You know, I use Kubernetes day to day in every cloud provider, but I forgot where was it? Where is the setting? But now we have a repository. I can make a just single search in GitHub or whatever tool I'm using, or from the console, I do a find and or grab, I find the setting right away. And I just need to learn the API tag. That's amazing. And repeatable, you know, repeatable. I have a Kubernetes template almost for every cloud provider. When I need it, I provision, I shut it down. I don't forget. It's a reminder. I like the CICD tools for uh, Terraform as well. And I probably tested every one of them, starting from Terraform Cloud to Spacelift and the others. I love them. You know, it's a good place to see. You become a more developer than infrastructure people. You need to encounter all the life cycle of the infrastructure. You know, everyone thinks there is a software development life cycle, but there is infrastructure development life cycle as well. We need to think about when to provision what and which sizing. And also the sizing is very easy. You know, variables helps us to easily implement the sizing, inject them that avoid more costs. And the first time I was literally using Terraform, like seven, eight years ago, I was working in a small fintech shop in Toronto and they want to provision a testing environment, a second environment. And we were very early startup. We don't want to spend a lot. And we had one QA engineer wants to use it. I was literally manually shutting down the resources before Terraform. Then I created a Terraform script. Then he used it. Then he started to use that Terraform script by, on his own in writing uh, a small Jenkins pipeline. He was destroying every night and uh, you know bring it online in the mornings. And if he's off, we don't pay. Then we hired the second, third, and fourth. We just duplicate that code and using it with the correct sizing. And if there is a big change, I just reflect it into my code and they were already getting their changes. Application is deployed. That is the beauty of the cloud, you know, not just, you know, scaling, high availability. Those are things already there, but automation makes sense and helps us to achieve uh, or deliver faster. I had a profound experience like this as well, about eight years ago when I started playing around with Terraform. And uh, I was like, wow, I can just just keep running this across multiple environments. You know, it just scales for me. It's awesome, you know. Um, Let's dive into this whole aspect as we as we come close to how do you keep up with all the madness in tech that's going on, like all the great technology that's coming out. How do you uh, what like what 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 does Errol do to keep up with learning and doing his R and D? I'm an early bird, to be honest. I'm a very very early bird. And two years ago, almost two years ago, I made a decision. I gave up some weight. I start to do more active lifestyle to try to be healthy after my doctor's recommendation. And I wake up very early, hit the gym, then come to my office that I work. And I spend at least two hours to what has been yesterday's news, you know, to learn more about. And in the last couple of months, I tried to, you know, prepare some LinkedIn posts. Um, I have a small newsletter as well. I try to create some content for that. Then you know, that helps me to keep up. And also because of my training I had at the same time, I tried to share with my team, with the trainers that I have, that I've been training for a couple of years. 
around more than 100 people now. And we also feed each other. You know, we have a WhatsApp group, Discord group. We have uh, some Teams channels, Slack channels. I try to spend at least two hours a day to learn it. And one special thing for Sunday mornings, I wake up early again and I spend more time, like three hours with a clear mind, without kids uh, while they are sleeping to get more information. Because weekdays, they wake up early as well for school, but the uh, weekends are better. And I try to set some time in my calendar. That's my focus time. Don't touch it. Don't interrupt me. I, uh, you know, turn off everything and D&D for everything and get some. Uh, because it's a commitment that I can keep up. And, you know, I have many certifications, over 100 in the cloud. Even renewing them some takes some time. I need to put invest that time. And it's like a, you know, very slim string. You need to hold it very tough. Otherwise, you it slips and it you go with, and that's just a commitment. I encourage everyone who wants to learn cloud DevOps, they just keep it a couple of months and they get the taste of it. Then they will be like me. I I believe. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Great advice. So, Errol, I mean, could you even for listeners, could you guide them on or suggest or advise some resources that you recommend people to kind of go and read or some you know RSS feeds that you recommend people to stay in touch. Uh, with or like some communities that they can be part of. Yeah, uh, I try to follow the all the cloud providers news blogs first. Uh, you know, they have RSS feeds. I always check them first, and I check a couple of Reddit channels just specific to cloud providers. I'd like to get feeded. I'm I'm a Reddit fan, and uh, other than that, there are specific uh, LinkedIn groups that I follow. One of uh, is uh, Yu Jung's uh, certification channel. There are some local channels for Canada, SRE, and DevOps. I try to find uh, the people from there. And there are some publishers and a couple of newsletters, all the tech I try to follow. But for learning, I prefer mostly for Microsoft, Microsoft learning pages. I try to go and now applied skills. I try to finalize all of them for AWS Skill Builder. And Google has a, you know some uh, Coursera courses. I try to follow them. Uh, but other than that, you know, I was a fan of Code Cloud, a cloud guru long years, but because I passed most of the certification, I don't go back and I try to make my son study on that <laughs> mostly. But I try to, if I, ha- if I have something that I need to learn, especially AWS partner trainings, uh, some deep dive topics like storage account, disaster recovery, I try to uh, finish all of the trainings there to get the badge and get more understanding about consulting side of it. That's amazing, Errol. I mean, thank you so much for sharing that, you know, and it's been it's been such a pleasure just hearing from you. You know, I mean, I work uh, my role is basically working with AWS as a cloud, you know, partner for my company. Right. And uh, it's it's been a great experience, you know, hearing you talk about how to approach the cloud, the, all the automation abilities and everything. And I look forward to actually figuring out how we can, you know, chat and go out and, you know, talk about your book when we meet at reInvent, actually. Sure, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So thank you so much for hopping on. I know uh, we we wanted to keep it to an hour and this has been an absolute pleasure. I look forward to, uh, you know, having you for another conversation and we'll dive more into an actual Terraform script that you've written and kind of dive into your philosophy as to how you pick <laughs> different variables and modules. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Uh, let's catch up in reunite.